G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Important conversations today on 2020. We're going to talk about a Christian view of the coming vaccination program. Of course, as you know, right now the whole world is scrambling to vaccinate against the COVID-19 pandemic. It's had a brutal impact on human life, on health and the economies of the world. The major hope for containing the pandemic is through an effective vaccine. An important conversation today about how Christians and vaccination think about these things with the hope of informing Christians and resolving some of the controversies that have arisen. You will have heard the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine has the green light, or at least provisional approval, from the Therapeutic Goods Administration. About 10 million doses are on their way. Most of us, however, will receive the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is much easier to distribute. The AstraZeneca vaccine is expected to be approved and rolled out in March. The government has contracts for more than 50 million doses. Australia has also signed an agreement to buy 51 million doses of the Novavax vaccine during the first half of the year. So our conversation today about these vaccines, about safety issues and importantly, Christian ethical issues. Dr. Megan Best is our special guest through the coming hour. She is a bioethicist who has an outstanding record as an advocate of Christian medical ethics. She's part of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. She's also the author of a couple of books. We'll mention those as we go along as well. But Dr. Megan Best, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much. Megan, let's start perhaps just talking about the role of vaccination against the pandemic that is ravaging the world, COVID-19. In general, our governments are moving toward a vaccination program. Uh, Your overall view? Look, I think there's absolutely no doubt that vaccination has proven to be one of the most effective public health strategies ever invented to help prevent spread of infection. So there's no doubt at all that vaccination itself is a good thing. And the way that works is that we each have a God-given immune system that's constantly protecting us against infection. And as we're exposed to a disease, our immune system fights that disease. But at the same time, it provides us with immunization against a future attack. But when you've got a disease like COVID-19, which can be life-threatening or leave us with serious health problems, vaccination helps us avoid getting the disease or um, reducing the severity of the disease if we do get it by um, injecting an inact- uh, um, a deactivated or weakened uh, virus 
that our um, or, or that our immune system can can identify and um, trigger our immune systems to respond and develop immunity to that disease without actually having to experience it and therefore saving us from any of the risks that that disease uh, presents. So uh, God made us um, with a system that helps us respond well to vaccinations and there's absolutely no doubt that vaccination is a good thing for our community. Let's start with this platform that vaccination is a good thing and of course there are elements in the community will argue vehemently that it's not a good thing but we're going to start from that uh, that foundation and I believe a sound Christian foundation that vaccine as you've described actually is Mm -hmm. a good thing. Now the three I mentioned in the introduction the Pfizer vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Novavax vaccine Uh, No doubt our government and our chief medical authorities uh, have thought long and hard in the way that they negotiated those that are coming. I wonder if you've got a view of the vaccines that are on their way. Well, the the two main ones that we're looking at um, are the AstraZeneca one uh, from the UK and then the Pfizer one. The main difference, I think, from an ethical point of view is that the AstraZeneca um, Oxford University vaccine has been derived from a cell line which originated from kidney cells from an aborted little girl um, from an abortion in the 1960s, whereas the Pfizer vaccine uses a, a fairly new technology where um, our own DNA is stimulated to produce um, a copy of, of the virus that our immune system responds to. So um, you don't have that ethical dilemma with the Pfizer vaccine that you would have uh, with the AstraZeneca one. I do want to cut right to the chase here because this is one of the prime controversies around the vaccination program and an issue that some Christians will be very, very concerned about because when you say there are two different ways that these vaccines are produced and we'll talk about that one just in a moment where the cells that are derived from humans, in other words, babies, Uh, a baby aborted as long ago as the 1960s. We'll come back to that. Mm. But the other one is a more synthetic uh, foundation, the mRNA technology. That one has no real ethical problem uh, when it comes to these sorts of conversations. Absolutely. Um, Messenger RNA is is, uh, a fabulous new technique um, where... uh, the basically the injection um it's hard to it's hard to explain it without getting too technical but it basically injects a type of um sort of a form of dna into our bodies which um encourages our cells to produce uh, a substance which our immune system thinks is is the virus so that um we, we don't actually have anything, uh, any virus injected. And, and the reason why um, human cells are used is because the virus needs to grow in human cells uh, in order to um, produce the quantities needed for vaccine production. Uh, 
So in, in the Pfizer vaccine, you bypass that completely. You don't have to grow the virus um, because you're not actually producing virus itself. Now, is it the case that there could be ethical concerns with both types, given that we'll be talking about an abortion that happened back in the 1960s, but as you say, in talking about this messenger RNA, the idea that there is potential for changing DNA in the human body, does that present any sort of Christian ethical problem, Megan? No, no, there's there's no mixing of the messenger RNA with the actual um, with the actual DNA in our own cells. So it does not uh, change our body DNAs in in um, an ongoing way. So there is there's no I don't see any ethical problems with messenger RNA technology. Okay, let's come to this. But can I just yep. say the reason the reason there's really a debate at all is is that for the vaccination program to work, you really need in the order of 85 to 95% of the population vaccinated. So if, a, if there are significant ethical problems for the community, it could have a serious effect on the success of the vaccination program because you need enough people vaccinated that you stop the circulation of the virus in the community so that those who, for medical reasons, can't have the vaccine um, are not at risk so that the reason we're talking about all these things is it's not just an individual issue it's about the good of our whole community um, our approach to vaccination programs I wonder if you have thoughts on the government as they've decided to choose the vaccines that they did choose, uh, whether those sorts of ethical considerations would have been a part of their thinking. Uh, No doubt you've been uh, thinking through the issues. Uh, Who made these decisions? Uh, Did they consider that there might even be uh, some controversy over the use of these fetal cells? Uh, Any thoughts there on, on how they might have made their choices? Because there are a lot of vaccines in production all around. The world. Yes, look, I, I think we need to have some sympathy for our leaders. Uh, in the face of this dreadful pandemic, I'm sure that issues of public safety have been uppermost uh, in our leaders' minds. And this type of use of fetal cells in vaccine production has been going on for decades. And it may have been a surprise to some leaders that, that anyone objected to it because many of the childhood vaccines um, that are in standard use use this technology. And, and I tried to raise this issue 10 years ago and I didn't get much much sort of feedback. Nobody seemed to be very concerned about it. So um, I, I would not think that... Um, these issues were thought about and, and our leader said, look, it's, it's not important. I, I, I sort of suspect that they didn't think about this aspect at all. An important thing to talk about here, and I know that you are able to identify the very baby that was aborted in the 1960s that these... Yep cells came from. It's important, I think, here to understand the facts and uh, that we do know what those facts are. I wonder 
if you've got that detail there, if you can uh, just let us know where these cells came from, the ones that are controversial, and then we'll move into a way that we can talk about those for listeners to understand okay, uh, how they yeah. might uh, respond to that. Well, the, the cell line is called uh, HEK293. It's um, a cell line which are different from embryonic stem cells. Um, it's basically a type of tissue that can grow, um, can keep replicating itself in a laboratory uh, situation um, over a long period of time so that uh, these cells can be used in the laboratory um, for, for, for production of different medications. And, and it's quite widespread in the pharmaceutical industry, quite, as I said, quite standard. And the actual cells that are in the cell line now would not be cells taken from that fetus in the 1960s. It's long re, sort of replaced itself by now. So we're not talking about tissue from, that, from a fetus. It's just cells that originally that the origins um, of those cells are from a human being um, who was aborted in the 1960s. And the questions I think we need to ask on an ethical basis, and, and also can I say that when the vaccine is uh, sort of inactivated and injected into us, all, all the traces of those cells are washed off. So when we get a vaccine, we are not being vaccinated with cells from a, from a fetus, we um, we are only being vaccinated with the inactivated uh, virus. So so nobody's being injected with cells from a dead fetus. We we I've seen that in the news, and that's definitely not what happens. It's just this cell line, an ongoing production of human cells that are needed to grow the virus, which are then isolated from those cells, cleaned and uh, inactivated and injected into us. So, so we might breathe... So some a, people will, yeah. will see a direct line. Uh, so I can go on with that in a moment if you like. Uh, yeah, well, uh, very, very comforting to know that there is a separation from the cells uh, from that uh, fetus from the 1960s, that baby yeah. from the 1960s. Uh, for That's some right. people, the connection is a moral connection now. And uh, we want to be That's able right. to tackle some that too will... because thank you for your clarity in talking mm -hmm. through how that disconnect is there and uh, there isn't a mm -hmm. connection to those original cells. Let's That's talk right. about this moral connection there because uh, some people will be digging their heels in, no doubt, and saying, but there's a, a moral issue I've got here because of uh, this foundation. How do we deal with that, Megan? Well, I think uh, there are two aspects. The first is that some people will draw a direct line between that abortion and the vaccine and say, I feel like I have some moral responsibility for that ab abortion if I use this vaccine. And that's called being complicit or being involved in an evil act. Um, so they feel if I accept this um, AstraZeneca vaccine, I am endorsing abortion. Now, the way we think about these issues, I think is, is um, we need to be careful because a lot of modern medical knowledge is based on sinful acts in, or evil acts in the past, such such as the acts of, of German doctors in, in World War II. They did some 
very evil experiments, but they actually discovered things that we currently use in modern medicine, and it's very difficult to know how to separate them. But one way of thinking about it is, well, what makes somebody morally complicit? What, what actually is involved? So the first thing is, if I accept this vaccine, have I had any role in causing the wrong act, the original abortion? Um, did we intend the original abortion? Absolutely not. Um, there were medical indications, we're told, for that abortion in the 1960s, and it wasn't actually developed into a cell line until the 1970s. So the reason for the abortion had nothing to do with the decision to use those cells in laboratories subsequently. So um, we are not involved in causing the abortion in the first place. The second uh, question then is, are we facilitating the abortion directly? Does using the vaccine promote the performance of abortions? Again, the answer is no. Um, those cells were collected a long time in the past, and um, by accepting the vaccine, we're not changing. We're not actually causing production of a new cell line. Um, this is something that's been going on for decades, and we're not actually facilitating that process. And then the third question is: by using the vaccine, do we perpetuate the moral wrong or the abortion? Well, no, by using the vaccine now, we, we don't promote further abortions for this particular purpose. Uh, however, I think we can still let manufacturers know we object to the use of fetal cells for ongoing development of vaccines because it's not necessary, as we can see, by use of the Pfizer vaccine. So by accepting the vaccine, uh, we are not in any way promoting abortions because this is an act that occurred many years ago and was not actually related to the decision to use cells. So we are not actually endorsing abortion by using the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, the second question we have to say is, what's the alternative? Well, one alternative would be to try and get the Pfizer vaccine, but I don't know that we'll all have that choice. But we have to think, well, what about the good of the community? And I think thinking about love for our neighbour, if 85 to 95% of people have to be vaccinated for our community, the vulnerable people in our community to be safe, and by that I mean people with complicated medical conditions or very young children who are too young to have the vaccine, if we decide not to have the vaccine, we're endangering those groups in our community. And I think as Christians, we also have to think about that moral imperative that we have an obligation to care for those who are vulnerable. And my feeling would be if we have to balance up the wrong of using a vaccine that's developed from fetal tissue cells, and the wrong of deciding not to be vaccinated and therefore putting vulnerable people in the community at risk. I would think the more immediate obligation would be to be vaccinated, while at the same time sending the message to our government that in future we would like to see uh, a banning of fetal cell lines in pharmaceutical research. 
and production. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. You can respond to our Facebook question today at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. We're asking today, do you have confidence in the safety and integrity of the COVID-19 vaccines? Our talkback line open also on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Megan Best, bioethicist. She's with the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia and bringing some tremendous wisdom into our conversation today. Let's take a call or two, Megan. Let's first of all hear from Shirley, is in Bowen in Queensland. Hello, Shirley. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. How are you today? Very well, thanks, Shirley. What are your thoughts? That's good. Um, I'm curious about the vulnerable. I just uh, wanting to know from Dr. Megan. I've got celiac disease, and I've also got Hashimoto's thyroidosis. So I have a lot of like, you know, aches and pains in your body, and a lot of things that just are hard because I'm getting older. Um, I was just wondering, like, would that be um, a problem with the vaccine for someone like me who has autoimmune issues? Uh, Megan. Um, I, I, I couldn't give you um, medical advice uh, without sort of speaking to, to you personally and, and uh, having a conversation. So that's something you need to talk to with uh, your own doctors. But having an autoimmune disease is definitely not um, upfront uh, contraindication. You, but you would have to discuss the details of your case with your own doctor. Okay, send it to me. People who have other health problems uh, in, in some cases are the ones who will be prioritised in terms of getting the vaccine because uh, we, we want to make sure you're protected. Okay. okay. Shirley, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. And just to qualify as we move on, if people do call through and they've got a particular medical uh, issue to raise, uh, your uh, your uh, area of, uh, of specialty is in bioethics, uh, Megan. So when some people call through with particular issues, you won't be able to comment in, in, a, in a significant way. Just give us a little, uh, give us a, some outline here as to what people can talk to you about. About. Um, well, we're talking about the ethical um, aspects of having um, the vaccine today, and I'm not an expert in immunology, so I certainly couldn't comment on, on those issues. Okay, let me just reflect what people are saying on Facebook because you can respond to a question today and you might want to engage with others uh, who are also making their thoughts and I might even ask Megan if you've got any time through the day perhaps to even uh, just have a look at some of the comments but uh, there's lots and lots of comments. Most of the comments, I'm told, are all against the vaccine. Uh, most have concerns about aborted babies uh, used either in the vaccine or in the process. Uh, many concerned about the speed of it, uh, some even questioning the need for it, especially when sports events or protests for certain causes are approved, uh, therefore questioning the true deadliness of the COVID. So uh, we might come to some of those, but we'll take another call for now. Antoinette is on the line in Tasmania. Antoinette, welcome along. Oh, hi, how are you going? Very good. Antoinette, what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are, um, like, um, whatever the research, um, I'd just like to say that it should be everyone's right to decide whether they want to get vaccinated or not. It's our human rights. <laughs> um, and um, we should be allowed to make that decision without being judged or pressured into anything. 
and we shouldn't have to lose our jobs, you know, over a vaccination because I feel we, you know, we need to have the right to for our health, um, you know, um, either way. So, Antoinette, let's get a thought from Dr. Megan Best. I understand that the government won't be insisting that the vaccine is mandatory and in Australia, um, mentally competent adults do have the right to refuse any treatment. So there's no question at this stage that people will be forced to do anything. However, I do think that as responsible members of the community, we need to think carefully about our responsibility to our fellow citizens and There's absolutely no doubt that in order for a vaccine vaccine program to be effective, the majority of us, a large majority of us, will need to accept the vaccine. So I don't think it's a decision we should make quickly, but there is absolutely no doubt that it is um, a personal decision. Antoinette, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Not long up to the news, but uh, Megan, the idea that it's very powerful to take a position. As soon as you take a position one way or another, you're going to influence others. And even as Antoinette says, uh, people can feel judged because they make a particular choice about the vaccine. Important here to make sure you understand the facts and that's what we've been trying to sort through today on the ethics issues here. But once you've sorted through the facts, uh, you're going to be very influential when you start to talk about these things within your family and your friendship groups. Absolutely, yes. And, and I think that in bioethical issues, understanding the actual science is very important. Often things are simplified in, in the media and we, we sort of get a wrong idea of what's involved. So I think it is important um, before we make a decision that we are informed of of the scientific facts underlying uh, any medical technology. Uh, Megan, let's take some calls. Listeners waiting patiently to be a part of our conversation today. We'll go through as quickly as we can. Erin is in Brisbane in Queensland. Erin, welcome along. Oh, thank you for having me. Erin, what are your thoughts? Um, my quick question is, there's been a lot of misinformation around this vaccine and comments such as it changing your DNA. So I'm curious to ask Megan if she has any um, sources or any websites that she can suggest for people to do their research and not just believe whatever someone sends to them, or if she has any tips and tricks for people wanting to learn more but not just taking um, particularly, I guess, Oh, propaganda is probably the word I'm after. I'll just leave it at that, I think. Erin, great thoughts. We all want those reliable, trustworthy resources, not just relying on propaganda. Megan, your thoughts for Erin? I think that is a great idea. I Sort of even the way um, phrasing changing your DNA, uh, we, we don't change our DNA when we use a um, messenger RNA virus. Uh, it's it's just uh, we uh, we get in, injected with um, uh, RNA, which allows our cells to produce the DNA of the virus, but it doesn't actually impact on our own DNA at all. There uh, is some information. It's fairly new technology, so I would Google messenger RNA vaccines. And there are some very good, I'm just 
at my computer now. I'm just uh, quickly seeing if I can find one. But I do know that some of the medical, um, uh, some groups like uh, Medline and Medscape, which are education for for generally uh, aimed at doctors that just describe how that technology works. And I think if you read that, you would be very much reassured that uh, this is a very safe and um, ethically uh, appropriate way of developing vaccines. Erin, you asked a great question. We want to avoid just what we might consider to be propaganda. We want trustworthy resources. Uh, Let me just ask, Megan, while we've got you on the line here, uh, there is a journal for the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. It's called Luke's Journal. I'm not sure how that's uh, widely available to uh, everyone if you're not a subscriber or not a a member of that fellowship, but uh, uh, no doubt there'll be some... It's now available online. It will be available through the CMDF website and um, I, I certainly will, will discuss with the membership whether um, we can upload any uh, relevant articles to our website but Luke's journal uh, is now available online uh, through the CMDFA website. All right Erin I hope that has oh, been helpful. Thank uh, thank you so much for your call. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Uh, let's traverse to the other side of the nation. Uh, Yvonne is in WA. Hello, Yvonne. Welcome. Hi. Um, um, hi, Dr. Best. Um, I caught the beginning of your um, uh, information that you were giving off. I work in a department where um, these immunizations are going to be compulsory to me. And after I saw that Facebook thing with the nurse, um, who had the AstraZeneca um, box there and read all this information and I was a little um, disturbed. Do you mind if I ask you if you could just run down those points because I have had serious concerns and I'm really impressed with the information you've given. I'm feeling a lot more confident about the immunization. You started off and you said in the 1960s the fetal cells do, you know, is this, were we involved? If, if you wouldn't mind running by that again for me because I need to write that down. Oh, okay. I think the um, this... Um will this actual podcast will be available later on. But basically, um, there was um, an abortion done in the 1960s for um, medical reasons. And then in 1972, a doctor in Holland uh, took some of those cells to make it into a cell line, which uh, is self-perpetuating and has been growing ever since. So, what, 30, 50 years Um, And so the cells that are actually being used to grow viruses now are not from the body of the aborted fetus from the 1960s. They have long been replaced. And those cell lines um, um, are kept in the laboratory and they keep reproducing themselves so that it's the source of human tissue which is needed to grow the virus, which is then extracted from that tissue cleaned of of the fetal cells and um, it's actually from a kidney it's kidney cells and uh, and then uh, the virus is uh, inactivated and and injected so there are no cell human cells connected to the virus that's injected and the cells that are being used to grow the virus are not the cells of the actual fetus Um, it is it's, it's just uh, the descendants of those cells. And I'm not saying right. that it's okay that fetal tissue is used in industry. I don't think that's okay at all. 
But I do think we need to to realise that we we are not uh, endorsing abortion when we use those cells. Um, Fair enough. I mean. But we need to make we need to make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. But we don't actually have any impact on that decision in the 1960s when we decide to use the vaccine. Okay. Yvonne, thank you so much for your call. And uh, to remind listeners, later on this afternoon, there will be a podcast of this and uh, there's a wonderful uh, way that Megan has been able to articulate uh, those issues with the cellular connection and also going on to the moral connection and how we deal with that as Christians. And uh, just to remind listeners that our guest, Dr. Megan Best, is a Christian Christian bioethicist and uh, has an outstanding ability to be able to articulate these issues around Christian medical ethics. So thank you so much, Yvonne, for your call. Let's continue to take some calls. Helen is on the line from Tasmania. Hello, Helen. Welcome. Yes. Hi. Thank you for that. Yes, I've I've taken it in very carefully what you're saying about, you know, cells and, and also the part about, you know, the abortions and, you know, what's been actually happening there. Now, I'm, 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 I'm a person that... Um, has a lot of problems with white and red blood cells without going into too much detail. Now, my a lot of doctors that I have spoken to, including my husband this morning, uh, they're worried about if that changes, you know, the one from the UK, for instance. Now, I think, just leave that to one side for a minute, but think about when influenza, you know, how it changes shape, because my husband's been a nurse. Things change shape. Every person, every patient is different as to what yep. is injected into them. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make here, Megan? If, if you, you uh, Well, the saying? same thing will be injected, but, but we are all different. That's correct. Uh, are you worried that as the virus changes, the vaccine won't be effective? Is, is that your concern? That's a, doctor, that's a doctor's comment this morning and also another doctor that yes. I spoke to just recently and doctors in hospitals. You know, they have a lot. It's a mixed bag. They have a lot of, you know, you've got politics in it. There's money comes into it. There's, what, there's you know, like people of a certain age group is a concern. And another concern that I have too, Megan, here is that use common sense. Now, for instance, if I've got leukaemia, I don't go round because of infection and whatever, and my husband's state of health, we don't go round into public places. We do all of the right things with the washing of hands, your social interaction. All this comes into it. And a lot of people don't give it enough serious thought. I, I quite agree that um, if, if people had been more responsible uh, at the outset, we wouldn't have had the outbreaks we have had in Australia. Uh, that's quite true. But uh, I think, first of all, um, it's true that the virus has mutated and we know uh, in the news they're talking about one from the U- a mutation from the UK and another variant from South Africa. Um, the... This is the case with with uh, lots of viruses, and production of vaccines is not um, set in stone. There is ongoing research at the moment, uh, seeing how the developed vaccines um, respond to the new variants, and there is ongoing research of second, third, fourth generation vaccines. So it's quite possible that um, the vaccines will need to change over time as the virus changes. So 
the scientists involved are aware of this and are certainly not saying we've got a vaccine, you know, washing their hands, what's next? Um, they, they are definitely engaging with the changing nature of the virus. So I think that we can be confident that the Therapeutic Goods uh, Administration or TGA, which uh, decides which medication should be used in Australia, will very much be taking all those things into consideration. And they have a very uh, good reputation for, for making sure that any medication uh, released in Australia is both safe and effective. And um, it's, it's true that everyone's immune system is different, but um, I think in general, the basic principles of vaccination hold uh, for the large part of, of the population. If you have a medical reason not to be vaccinated, that certainly will be um, respected in terms of the vaccination program. Helen, thank you so much for your call. Let's take as many calls as we can. Marie is on the line from Mackay in Queensland. Marie, welcome along. Good morning, everybody. How are we? Good. Marie, what are your thoughts? Very well, thank you. That's good. Yeah, my comment is just people tend to forget the history of vaccination with Edward Jenner and so forth. He developed smallpox vaccine. So nowadays we don't have that. And that's what they're trying to do with COVID vaccination to protect everybody. And I know there is Mm. lots of different um, impacts on why and why for and whether they should have it or not. But I think people just need to go back to say, okay, we've eradicated that disease. Um, We vaccinate our children because we love them and we want them to live and not die of a simple childhood disease. And it's the same with COVID. So if we can just tie that into our into our thinking of why we want to do it or not I for one will be putting my hand up to say yes because I work in the health industry I want to protect those I look after and I want to protect my family Marie good thoughts there a quick response from Megan before we take take another call I think um, I entirely agree with everything you said I think we should see this these vaccines as a blessing, uh, not as a challenge. We um, are in a happy situation in Australia that uh, people are not being affected the way they are in some other countries. But uh, uh, the fact that the vaccine's available so quickly, we should be very thankful for. Marie, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation. Let's take another call. Maureen is on the line from Longford in Tasmania. Hello, Maureen. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. I'm full agreeing with the lady who spoke just a moment ago. I believe in everything she says. If you look at the number of people who normally die in Australia with just flu, fluenza every year, it's quite big. I think it's something like... 1,200 or something, isn't it? Uh, not sure um, of numbers. And we haven't, no, I'm not either, but um, I'm sure your doctor there will know. But um, I, for one, will be putting my hand up for the vaccine. I think um, it's wonderful that we have it so quickly and that it will help to protect our communities. And um, the people who are going to be outrightly refusing it I think um, are putting a lot of vulnerable people at risk. Great thoughts, Maureen. Uh, Your response, Megan? 
Look, I'm just thinking of a time I worked in Papua New Guinea and there were children dying of measles and those mothers would have given anything to be able to vaccinate their children. And I think we have forgotten how terrible some of the diseases um, we vaccinate against uh, have been in the past. And, and we're also protected from how badly communities are being affected overseas because our government's done such a good job controlling the, the illness. Um, I, I quite agree. It's, it's just a miracle for which we should be thankful that this is an option. Maureen, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Nick is on the line from Coffs Harbour in New South Wales. Hello, Nick. Hi, how are you? How are you going? Very well, Nick. Um, I just want to ask a question. I heard um, from a friend of mine that um, basically heard on the street that um, that the vaccine can be quite dangerous to people um, with illnesses. He had Crohn's disease and he was quite worried about it. Quite, um, I, I'm not sure where he got his information from, but my wife um, is a type 1 diabetic and I sort of, um, you know, alarm bells sort of went off for me, so I just thought I'd call up and, yeah, get a response for that. Megan? No, I, I, I haven't heard anything like that. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of fear about uh, adult vaccination because usually we vaccinate children, but uh, I've absolutely heard no reason why a type 1 diabetic should not be vaccinated. Uh, Nick, uh, thank you so much for your call. I uh, want to get through as many calls as we can. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from David in Perth. Hello, David. Welcome. Yes, good morning. Um, I'd like to just uh, start the conversation by asking um, about the ingredients. Uh, my doctor, um, who's a both a medical doctor and a natural um, doctor, um, he spoke to me about the um, most vaccines have a um, some aluminium component or a mercury component under a different name. Um, a, a different vaccines are, are manufactured differently to a certain degree, and this is to um, get the immune response um, going. Um, and see, this is what happens with the uh, flu vaccinations before COVID hit. Um, and they were making these kinds of vaccines. Um, so that's a problem. And I want to know, is it um, feasible to have the ingredients of the vaccine? I mean, we want to know what we're putting in our bodies, just the same as we go to the cereal packet and we look at the ingredients on the, on the food we're putting into our bodies. The same concept needs to apply for all um, consumers that we have what is um, going to bodies uh, readily available for us to, to read. In, David, uh, good thoughts that you're making with. there. A question here around the ingredients and uh, would we go beyond any sort of deception if we knew what was in each vaccine? Megan. I, I think we can have confidence in the Therapeutic Goods Associ uh, Administration in Australia. There's We have very high standards for what uh, medications are approved in our country and there is transparency in, in terms of what is uh, what each medication um, consists of. Uh, obviously uh, there are active and inactive ingredients but that information is available from the manufacturer uh, if you uh, actually wanted to apply for it but there is there's no cover-up in terms of what these medications consist of and uh, that 
that information will definitely be available um, if you can't find it on the web by applying to the actual manufacturer. David, thank you so much for your call. And I will need to put a line under any more calls. Thanks to everyone who called in. Uh, wonderful questions and comments that were delivered, especially over this last half hour. Uh, Megan, just to draw a a uh, loose end or two together, uh, we've come up with what I think over this past hour is a Christian ethical position that says we ought not to be fearful of receiving either of the uh, vaccines that are on offer. Uh, I wonder if we just sum up things by uh, perhaps an assurance for some and uh, and then we might just talk about where you can get more detail. Uh, but w- what are your thoughts just in the, the last hour, what we've come up with? I think that that uh, God gave us immune systems that allow us uh, to protect uh, ourselves against illness, but vaccines are a very effective public health strategy to help us develop that uh, protection without having to actually experience the disease. And uh, we have two vaccines that are about to, one approved, one about to be approved in Australia possibly more vaccines coming. And even though some people are concerned about the use of fetal cells um, that are used, uh, that a cell line originally coming from fetal cells used to grow the virus in production um, could uh, make one complicit with the act of abortion, I think that it is uh, an event that occurred sufficiently long ago that the um, that you don't have to worry that you are complicit in that abortion in the 1960s, and I think we need to weigh up our obligation to our neighbour in loving our neighbour uh, by thinking carefully about our responsibility to accept the vaccine to protect the vulnerable people around us. And uh, my own ethical view is that that obligation to accept the vaccination is greater than concerns about an abortion in the 1960s. Well, wonderful getting these insights today. Important timing before the vaccines are being rolled out. Uh, undoubtedly, there'll be another opportunity in the near future to be talking some more about vaccines. And uh, Megan, if uh, you're available, I'll certainly invite you to be joining us again on some of the issues as they continue to develop here in Australia. But Dr. Megan Best, bioethicist, uh, I've mentioned the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. Uh, we also uh, touched on the idea that there is a journal that comes from the CMDFA. It's called Luke's Journal. And no doubt there'll be more and more attention given to these medical and ethical issues that are coming from the Christians in our medical and dental communities. So uh, let me encourage people to visit the website of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia, cmdfa.org.au. Uh, no doubt anyone who's connected to the uh, medical fraternities uh, would be welcome to be a part of that fellowship and uh, cmdfa.org.au. Uh, Megan, just outstanding commentary today and uh, I want to just thank you deeply for uh, your insights and thank you for being available to share these thoughts with listeners today on 2020. It's my privilege. Thank you for the invitation. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.